Hello, I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is the UFC 261 edition of the Come On Now MMA podcast. So, I'm going to go through the card, and then go through some other of the noteworthy goings-on before, during, and after the fight. Try and get as much into this as I can, and focus pretty much just on the UFC 261 a little before, a little after, get into the post-fight uh, interviews probably tomorrow. So let's jump off. First fight of the night was um, was an exciting one. It was a bout between Na Liang and Ariane Carnalesi, and it was a fun fight. Um, Carnalesi overcame a height and reach advantage to really take it to Liang. Um, she used her, her strength, which... Just looking at her, her build, her stature, her upper body, um, she might she might have been a smaller fighter, but she was definitely the stronger uh, of the two. And yeah, she knows where the weight room is, and that paid off for her. Um, Liang might have had some some jitters because she gassed out, and that really cost her. So it ended in the second round, uh, one twenty eight. TKO for Carnalesi, but uh, a pretty impressive performance from her. I'd keep an eye on her. Um, she has, a, I believe she has pretty, a pretty decent number of stoppages, but definitely a very good fight to open the card. It seemed to set the tone for the event, and it really got the fans um, into it, the fans that were in attendance, and I'm going to guess the fans who watched it on uh, TV as well was just... Uh, a pretty good, well, real good way to start the event. So, congrats to those two strawweights for what they did in the opening fight of the night. Uh, Jeff Molina and uh, Orichi Lang. Molina looked, in the beginning, he looked a little off. His striking didn't look as effective as... Arichi Lang's, but as the fight progressed, Arichi Lang kind of faded, and Molina really took over in the third round, uh, and his boxing was just phenomenal. He he touched him up at, at he was just it looked like everything he threw was landing. Arichi Lang's face was all marked up by the end of the fight, and Molina's striking in that third round, that boxing, just just fabulous. He looked so good. I don't know if the idea was to wait until the third to really turn it on, but if it was, it was very effective. And Molina was calm, focused throughout the fight. And when it came time to up the ante and up his output and start delivering, he did so. So a very good performance from Molina. Was the performance designed that way, or did it just kind of come out that way with uh, Orichi Lang kind of fading? I don't know. Um, so I want to see another fight from Molina before I you know, go in on him as someone to really keep an eye on. But this fight got me very interested in him. as uh, So another good performance. Um, Molina won by a unanimous decision. Um, Vargas and Rong Su, I'm, I'm, 
probably butchering that that name. Um, youngest fighter on the card, Sue, and not very impressive by him. Um, his age and inexperience showed. He one thing I liked was that he paid attention to his corner. The good thing was that he was he looks like someone that will learn and will take advice from his corner very well and, and and implement that during a fight. The bad thing is he was very reliant on his corner during the whole during the whole bout. And that's really not something that you want to do. You want to be able to flow with the fight and, and make your own calls during the fight. He did not do that very well in this fight. Um, Vargas was just the more mature fighter and it showed and he he just he won because he knew what he was doing and he knew where the opportunities were and he, he took advantage of them. So it wasn't the best fight, but it wasn't bad by any means. Um, Vargas looked good. Sue looked okay. He's got a lot to learn and needs a lot more reps. I don't know if it's, I don't know if the UFC is the place to get those reps. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, next fight, uh, back, how the hell do you pronounce this? Bachelor and Natividad did not last long at all. That was a, um, what do I have written down here from my notes? Took him less than a minute to finish Natividad. Um, the finish was impressive. Uh, he missed with a kick. Then he stepped back, switched stances and landed a check hook right on the button. Put him down, put him out. It was an excellent way to close out the prelims. Very impressive finish. Um, again, nothing more to say. It only lasted 50 seconds. So, great, great finish. Um, Pat Sabatini and Tristan Connolly. Pat Sabatini, a wrestler from Pennsylvania, and I, I noted this uh, on Twitter, is that if you wrestled in Pennsylvania you probably thought you faced somebody named Pat Sabatini. It's a very Pennsylvania wrestling name. And he was a very good wrestler in this in this matchup. He he showed good takedowns, uh, very patient top game, heavy top game, and he put a premium on his positioning before he would go for a submission. Um, he transitioned well. Everything about Sabatini, who is a former cage for champion said watch this guy in the 145 pound division so i would definitely keep on on pat sabatini he's one of those philly kind of guys that um everyone seems to be high on right now and the credentials with the cage fury title on uh, on his shelf definitely someone to watch out for very very good performance here uh, brendan allen carl roberson weird fight weird fight um roberson just bad Bad fight IQ, and he got finished by a heel hook from Allen, who had better hot fight IQ. Allen, a uh, good, uh, good bounce back from getting knocked out, I think. Knocked out, was he? Yeah. Knocked out by Sean Strickland in November. Before that, he was on a pretty lengthy winning streak. So it was a good win for him, but I think it was a more a bad performance for Roberson than a good performance for Allen. Not to say Allen looked bad, but... I will say that Roberson probably gave up the submission, but you got to give it up for Allen, who knew when to take advantage of it and when to, and what to do. So, 
Allen gets the props on that one. First round submission, 445 of the first. I'm going to skip over the Dwight Grant fight. It didn't really do much for me. Randy Brown and Alex Alex Oliveira. Oliveira did his kind of, uh, you know, if you want to look at someone who likes their job, Oliveira is that guy. Danced out to the cage, very loose, very relaxed. But that doesn't get you paid in the UFC. You got to perform. And he did not do that. Uh, Brown was just the better fighter. Um, he had some trouble early with those calf kicks from Oliveira, but then he turned around and just dropped uh, Oliveira with a with a right hand. And then Brown, who was his his size and height and length, and he's a very tall, lanky fighter, and uh, he got a one armed uh, rear naked choke and forced Oliveira to tap. And Oliveira was tapping for with both hands by the end of the. Uh, by the by, the conclusion of the fight, so uh, Brown looked real good. There was some something went on between those two guys, and Brown then said that if you wanted to know what it was, to check out the his Twitch stream. So I have not done that, so I don't know what the uh, what the beef was. But props to Brown for getting folks to go to his Twitch stream. Good move on that uh, on that. Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crute, I thought was going to be Jimmy Crute's fight. And it definitely wasn't. Smith um, used his jab very well, just pieced apart Crute all for for the for most of the first round with that jab, lit it up. Crute's face was starting to show it, um, and then Smith landed a calf kick that killed Crute's leg. Crute, not able to stand, uh, went in and got a got a quick quick takedown. And then held uh, Smith down. And then he got a, a, a mat return, I think, near the end of the round. So he had a hard, hard time getting back to his corner. Um, he, the referee, I'm sorry, the doctor gave him the uh, walk towards me thing. Almost pulled it off, but at the uh, right near the end of the walk towards me, his, his, he got, his foot got a little floppy. And the referee waved it off. Would I have waved it off? Maybe. It was 50-50, I think. Uh, I'm, at, at the very least, I think I would have said, the first sign of any trouble with that foot, I'm stopping the fight. And between rounds, Crute said his... I mean, after the fight, Crute said his plan was going to be to pull guard and see how the things went in the second. Had that happened, I don't know what would have... Uh, the outcome would have been because Crute was able to take Smith down pretty easily. So maybe something would have happened. Who knows? Uh, I can't argue with the stoppage because his foot was not functioning well. And that could have been a disaster. He lands on it wrong because he can't feel it. You know, you have, a, you have some ligament damage, maybe a break. So um, unlucky for sure. But Smith made that happen. And this is something that we're going to, we have to deal with here is that you don't have to like this calf kick. But if it lands just right, that's what happens. So it's an effective technique. And even if it doesn't land just right, like here and kills the nerve, like it did in this fight, it, it can it can really affect the uh, movement of, the, of someone. So this was the ideal situation for landing that kick. And I... 
it's a technique that could be used and should be used. I know people are going to say they don't like it, but that's, you know, tough shit. What it does is no more damaging than a punch or kick to the head. Probably less damaging because over time that feeling will come back and and you'll recover. And if the referee does a good job and doesn't allow you to put too much weight on that while it's flopping around like a fish out on the on the boardwalk, you should be okay. So I don't mind the technique. I kind of actually like the technique because it's legit. Does what it's supposed to do. Now, some people say it's not a f- not fair, but those people are I don't know, not too bright. I don't think. Good win from Smith. Um, I don't know where it takes him. This was the first, I think, his first fight in seven fights where he wasn't the main event. Good reset fight. I think uh, he might be in a in this position where the UFC is going to give him these up and comers and see if they can get by him, but. After a while, they're going to have to, uh, if Smith keeps winning, and I think he will, that they're going to have to move him up against the veterans at the top of the division again. So Smith needed a reset. He's getting it. But it's only going to be a matter of time, I think, before he gets back in the mix at the top of the light heavyweight division. You're all Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman. We know what happened there, and all we can think and hope for is to for Chris Weidman to recover and at the very least, be able to enjoy his family and his life outside the cage. That's the focus right now. Once that's established, then maybe Wyman, who is getting older in the MMA game, thinks about his future and sees if he wants to continue fighting or not. If I'm Chris Weidman, what I probably do is, if I'm able to train on it after recovery... I'm probably going to say, all right, give me one fight and see what happens. But then we know what happens if you win. And then it becomes, give me another fight and see what happens. So Weidman's in a weird spot here. But before we start looking at him getting back to the cage, we need to focus on Chris Weidman, the man, and Chris Weidman, the, the father and husband, and you know, focus on just him getting back to a quote-unquote normal life with that with that damaged leg it was ugly it was nasty it's probably going to happen again it's a freak thing um every time you check a kick that can happen the body's not always made to uh to do that and so uh, unfortunate very unfortunate but i think with the uh, where we're at medically, I think Weidman will be okay, and especially since Sanderson Silva recovered and came back to fight for a few more years after he suffered the same injury. Uriah Hall handled it very well. Uh, Hall's always been the kind of guy where you, you look at him and say, great fighter, but kind of a reluctant fighter, in that I think he enjoys the sport. Yeah, I think he enjoys what he does. I don't think he always enjoys the result of what he does as an athlete. And that's a, that's a dilemma that uh, I can understand and that I can, I can empathize with him in that, that it's a weird sport. I mean, it's a strange sport. The competition is, it's one-on-one competition, but the result sometimes is things like this. And if you're someone who's kind of more sensitive to these things and 
already struggling with what you do as a living because of the violence of it and what can happen to the other person, this doesn't make anything better for you. So I think Hall handled this very well. He put the focus in his post-fight speech on Weidman, and it was... Uh, I don't think he could have handled it any better. Now, once he lives with it for a little while, I don't know how that, I don't know how that affects Hall. Um, like I said, he's always seemed to be kind of a reluctant mixed martial artist, so this could have some kind of effect on him. From last night, I don't know if it will, but bears watching on how he reacts to it just as much as how Weidman recovers. And I think people sometimes don't take that into account. They think that all these people are just, you know, this is what we do, this is how it is, no big deal. And I don't think that's true. I mean, for some of the some fighters, I, I do believe that to be true, but Uriah Hall has never struck me as one of those fighters. Valentina Shevchenko, we heard about how Jessica Andrade was going to be the last big challenge to her title, and then Shevchenko just steamrolled her. I think the Maya fight was a little bit of a dud because Shevchenko was just coming back from a knee injury and it was more of a test my body kind of thing. There was no test in this fight. It was, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to shut up everyone who says that this is the, the last big challenge of my, of my reign. And Andrade was not in this fight not in it. Um, everything about Shevchenko was on point. Was it her best fight of her career? It might have been. It didn't last all that long. Uh, 319 of the second round was when it finished, but she dominated every aspect of this fight. Great, great performance from Valentina Shevchenko um, and just overwhelming every aspect of the fight. Clinch, distance, ground, wrestling, grappling, Andrade had nothing. So great performance with Shevchenko. And now you now if you're Jessica Andrade and you've fought in uh, strawweight, bantamweight, and flyweight, what do you do here? Do you go back down to strawweight now that Zhang's no longer the champ? Maybe. Do you play second fiddle to Shevchenko and serve as the gatekeeper to the top of the division? Maybe. It's a it's a bad spot for Andrade. Um, kind of feel for her because she is good, but she's just not as good as the women that are at the top, at least of the bantamweight division. Probably, I would, if I'm her, I'm probably going back down the strawweight. I'm sorry, not as good in the in the flyweight division. I'm probably thinking of going down the strawweight because that's probably where the title is going to change hands more often and you get a chance to get back in that mix a lot sooner than you will at flyweight because by the all appearances, Shevchenko is not giving up that title anytime soon. Rose Namajunas and Wiley Zhang, I had, um, of the three title fights, this was the one that I thought that a belt could have changed hands. I didn't think it was gonna, and it did. It did in a big way. I don't know what Zhang was thinking with this kick. Uh, she expected it to go low. It did not, and just because of her bad read or, or, or I'm going to guess bad read. She got knocked out. Nama Yunus won this fight, won it clean. Zhang lost it. And there's no reason to run this one back because it was a, a clean win, clean win. Zhang um, didn't know what happened and argued with the stoppage, but it was a good stoppage. 
Uh, Nama Yunus becomes the first woman to regain her title since losing it. No one else has done it. Uh, will it happen again sometime? Sure. But she's the first and left no questions. No questions as to the win. This was a well-timed, well-placed, well-chosen well kick from from Rose Namajunas. So good, good on her. Won her the performance of the night. And the other performance of the night went to Kamara Usman, who just decked Jorge Masvidal. It was a pretty good fight going in into, you know, the first round was pretty good, pretty competitive. Second round, same. But Usman is just improving with every fight, and that is a scary, scary proposition. Um, and I don't know if the plan was to unleash these punches or if the opportunity was just there. But whatever it was, Usman showed uh, Masvidal, who kind of shrugged off the power of of Usman during the pre-fight interviews and during the fight that laugh if you want, but the power is there. And if you let your chin hanging out there, it's going to get connected with and lights out. Jorge Masvidal was out. It was kind of funny to hear Rogan say that Masvidal was trying to get up after he was on the canvas, but uh, I didn't see that because that dude was out cold. Um, excellent, excellent win from Kamaru Usman. Where he goes next, I don't know. Do I think he's the best welterweight in UFC history? No. Do I think he's top three? Yeah, probably number two behind St. Pierre. Is he going to surpass St. Pierre? I don't know. I know he's on that road, He's and he's speeding down that road towards St. Pierre, but I don't think he's there yet. Uh, the thing that I like about Usman, though, is that he is getting better. He's 33, but these this fight, the Burns fight, he's, you know, the Covington fight, he is not what everyone thought he was. Everyone thought he was a wrestler, dismissed him. Boring Kamaru Usman. He's got three finishes in his last four fights, and the Masvidal finish and the Covington finish were just vicious. He is not a one-trick pony. He's a skilled, all-around fighter, and he's someone that, dismiss him if you want, but you're going to be living with him as a champion for, for a while, I think. Covington has a chance to beat him because Covington is a good wrestler, but the way that Covington's going to beat him isn't through power. It's through takedowns and just the, the little strikes on the ground to, to keep the fight there and not get stood up. That's Covington's plan. Will it work? I don't know, because Usman is not a shabby wrestler himself. And, I mean, he, he rearranged Covington's jaw in that last fight, so we'll see. We'll see. But um, all around, this was a very good fight card. Very good. Um, from start to finish, it was a pretty impressive lineup of fights. The only dud, I think... And he, I don't even know if it was a dud. It just wasn't up to the par. The other fights was the Dwight Grant uh, fight. But it was a great card, and it went by incredibly quickly. Um, nothing uh, went past the second round on the main card. Only four fights went 
into the third round and all those all four of those went the distance but nothing that you would say was a bad fight so pretty good card here uh, even though nothing was excessively long on the in the main card i think you got your money's worth unfortunate to, on that hall and weidman card fight but overall just a great 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 night of fights i think everyone walked away happy made it a lot better that it was an early night and uh yeah no complaints on my end none whatsoever at least not for the fighting part of the card now let's get on to the uh other kind of interesting things that i observed before uh, during and after ufc 261 things started out a little squirrely with this card let me get down here to my notes um the first thing that uh, came up really was the during the intro section with the with Anik, Rogan, and Cormier building up the event. This was before the even first fight of the night. Rogan was t speaking about the matchup between Wiley Zhang and Rose Namajunas, and he said that Namajunas had shaved her head at one point, and she still fights with her shaved head because she didn't want to be thought of, let me just get my notes here, as a pretty girl. And so she shaved her head, and then he said, but she's a gorgeous woman. Now, the reason she shaved her head, and I looked this up, I thought is what it was, was that her hair was getting in the way during training, and so she said, shave it off. Sensible, because then you don't have to worry about it. It's one less thing you have to worry about while you're training for your fights, while you're getting ready. No hair, no problem, you go, you go to you go to practice, don't have to tie it up, don't have to do anything with it. Um, if you fight with a headgear on, you put your headgear on, you go. If you don't fight with a headgear on, you just go. And that's the reason she shaved her head, which 100% makes sense. It's one less thing to worry about. So I don't know where Rogan got the idea that she shaved her head because it was some kind of anti, uh, some kind of a statement in, in, in of looks. But he was wrong, just say, saying shit. But the fact that he also then brought up that she was a gorgeous woman, which is, I don't know why you would have to do this. I don't know why male commentators seem to be fixated on looks of women, women fighters. It's got nothing to do with the sport. It's, it's a shallow observation. It's a stupid observation. And it's an observation that needs to go away. It has nothing to do with someone's ability to fight. I'm not here to watch that or hear about someone's looks. It, it does nothing. It, it, it just makes the fight seem less serious and the fighters seem less serious. And we know, we know Rose Namajunas is a serious fighter. She's a, a champion. She didn't get there by accident. She didn't get there from her looks. She got there from her accomplishments in the cage and the time she put in training to get to that level. Looks have nothing to do with it. So I don't know why this happens. It's stupid and it needs to stop. Will it stop? Probably not because, I don't know, dudes dudes are lazy. It's a lazy observation of what it is. And I don't even know why. I don't know where Rogan got the idea that she shaved her head because of her looks. But that's not true. And um, I think Rogan just kind of makes stuff up at points to sound like he knows what he's talking about and to take up time. 
Um, better to just not say something than say something stupid. And in this, in this case, Rogan definitely said something stupid. Um, early in the broadcast, the judges, whew, some questionable, uh, que- and there was only four decisions, but I think the first two were pretty questionable, and that led John Anik to send the message during the broadcast that the fighters in the back might want to uh, consider not letting uh, fights go the distance, which, you know, we always hear that, but the judging was, when it when it happened for the, I think it was the first two fights, was not good, was not good at all, so... Glad that it didn't get involved. The judging didn't get involved in the bigger fights on the main card. But it was, uh, yeah, for someone like John Anik to call out the judging, you know it's pretty bad because he's pretty um, level across the board, doesn't get too, too upset about things, shakes things off pretty well. But when he needs to make a note of it, you know it's done screwed up. Um. This is all just the, the bad stuff I observed. And we'll get to the good stuff because I want to end on a high note. Um, that that promotion that the UFC did for the three African champions was atrocious. I don't know what... I, I, I felt bad for Anik that he had to do a voiceover and read things from a Toto song into a fight promotion. And I don't know why... Or how this even becomes a thing. How someone says, you know what? You know what I know about Africa? The Toto song. What the fuck? What the hell? I mean, come on, man. I've said this before and I'll say it again. And I am serious about this because I'm worried that this is going to get to a point that's kind of... It could get kind of ugly just out of, I think, sheer ignorance in that the UFC knows how to promote a certain type of fighter. And that fighter is an American fighter for the most part. And I could go one level deeper, but I think if, I think with, if the sticks to just American fighters, they're, they're good because, you know, that's what they know. That's what they want to see. That's the majority, I think, of, uh, I mean, I think the buck stops with Dana White and I think his influence goes far, far, far too deep. And I don't think he's a, a very cultured person. He's never shown himself to be. And I think he's, he strikes me as a teenager that never grew up. I don't think he seeks new things out. I don't think he reads. Well, he says he doesn't read. I don't think he has any interest in anything but making money. And so that's his worldview is money, money, money. And now when you need to promote something outside of uh, an American kind of viewpoint, he doesn't get it. He just does not get it. We saw that with Habib. He didn't understand Habib's commitment to his family and to his people. And he thought he could buy him off with money. It didn't happen. I mean, he can do that with some people, not not with Habib. And to to let this this thing go, it, it was just horrendous. A horrendous thing. And so I hope... If the UFC does do this show in Africa with the three and the three champs are still at the top of the sport, that it 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 hires an outside firm to do the promotion for that. Because if what we're if the if the first thing you do to promote your African champs is a Toto song about Africa, not even about Africa, it just uses Africa as a in the lyrics. 
you're going to screw something up real bad. And this already was a screw up. It was just dumb. I, I, I can't think of any other word to describe it, but dumb, um, short-sighted, uh, ignorant. It was bad. It was bad, and I fear that it'll get worse. So please, UFC, hire somebody to do the promotions for this. Um, Sean O'Malley earlier this week is still in denial about the leg kick uh, from Marlon Chido Vera ending their fight. Still says that it was not a technique that ended the fight. It was just that he hit him on the nerve. So I wonder if O'Malley watched the crude fight and thought the same thing. Conor McGregor voiced his opinion on this, said that um, calf kicks and those kicks like that uh, that ended Crude's night take no skill, which is kind of funny because McGregor's coach was always has always preached win or learn. Well, if he was going to learn anything from that fight that he lost because of those kicks to Poirier, well, then he would learn that they're an effective technique and that you better learn how to check them and or use them if you want to be effective in MMA in 2021. Instead, he goes on uh, social media and says that they're, they take no skill, which is kind of funny because the two guys that have lost the biggest fights because of those kicks both shared the same opinion that it was just an unskilled technique, which come on now, that's not winning our learning. That's making excuses. So don't make excuses. And then further McGregor went on to pretend he was a doctor and say that the reason that Weidman Weidman's leg broke was he must've had micro fractures, many micro fractures in that leg before he threw the kick, which I don't know. And you know who else doesn't know? Conor McGregor, because he's not a doctor. So that was stupid. So stupid opinions from Conor McGregor. Um, the fans, they booed at the wrong time. Though well, they booed when they shouldn't have booed at all. And then while Weidman was on the canvas and getting tended to by the, by the medical team, they started the Jake Paul chant inside the arena, which was just dumb. Um, why would you, why would that happen at, at all? But especially at that time was kind of unseemly, but not surprising. Um, I'm going to go into the positives, but first I'm going to say that I would caution people to say that this event was a success because we're not going to know if it was a success until two or three weeks later when the COVID-19 test numbers start to shake out. I, I, I've I, said it before, I'll say it again here, I wouldn't have held this event. I thought it was uh, a matter of we can do this, not we should do this. But Dana White, with the, he has no, he just can't wait. He has to be first, doesn't really consider anything. Um, gets a disclaimer put on their tickets that basically says, screw you if you get sick or die. And so legally, I get a guess that their asses are covered, but it was the wrong time. I, and even if it even if it works out, it's still going to be the wrong time, because just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. You should look big picture, and big picture says this could end up being a super spread event. And if that happens, it's all going to point right back to Dana White. 
I saw someone tweet out that, you know, other leagues should follow his lead, which, no, they shouldn't. They should wait and see what happens and then still take cautions, precautions in, in how to open up. White didn't do any of that. So he lets his ego get ahead of him in many cases, and this was one of those cases. So I hope nothing happens, but I'm not confident that that's going to be the result. Um, Trevor Whitman. Watch, watch. Trevor Whitman was in the corner for, I think, Nama Yunus and uh, Usman. He's definitely their, both of their, their, their head coaches. So watch when Usman wins. Trevor Whitman, who's up for the coach of the year and one of the better minds of MMA for a long while, uh, just no-sold Usman's win. I'm sure he was excited on the inside, but Trevor Whitman is, uh, and you can see this too in Greg Jackson, Trevor Whitman's the kind of guy who you hear the phrase, act like you've been there. Trevor Whitman acts like he's been there. Trevor Whitman acts like he knows that his fighters are going to walk away with wins every time. And when they do, even in the title fight, even in title fights as spectacular as Nama Yunus's win and Usman's win, Trevor Whitman just no-sells it. Just moves on. You know, there's not celebrating. It's just a kind of look of, yep, that's what the plan was and that's what happened. And I knew that was going to happen. Trevor Whitman is a fantastic MMA mind, but he's also somebody that knows that the fights just keep coming. And, all right, you won that one. Now we move on to the next. I think Trevor Whitman, as soon as the fight's over, is already moving on to the next. So it's, 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 I like to see that because it's somebody who is not satisfied with what is happening right then. I mean, I mean, I'm sure he's satisfied, but he's already moving on, I think. And he's like, all right, that challenge has been met, overcome. Now I'm moving on to the next challenge. I like that in a coach. I like that in a fighter. Uh, and I like to see that. So Trevor Whitman, big ups to Trevor Whitman. Jake Paul. Jake Paul. Jake Paul is living in a lot of MMA fans, fighters, and maybe the UFC president's head. Um, he was at that event. The fans were focused on him. Daniel Cormier was focused on him. Dana White was focused on him. And that's exactly what Jake Paul wants. The worst thing you can do to Jake Paul, the absolute worst thing you can do to Jake Paul, is ignore him. Don't give him what he wants. But for some reason, everyone has to give him what he wants, attention. And with that attention, his brand value surges, goes up. And now when someone like Triller, they see that Jake Paul can get in MMA fans, fighters, presidents, heads. And now he's his value goes up. Just This is an easy thing to solve as far as Jake Paul goes. If you don't like him, don't give him the air. Don't give him the attention. Don't put him on your broadcast. Don't answer questions about him. Don't get so mad you say you're going to slap him. Don't offer to fight him. Just ignore him and move on. Don't even acknowledge him. But for some reason, fans are fans, fighters in the UFC are just eager to get into spats with somebody who wants nothing more than the attention. So I got to give big ups to Jake Paul. He uh, knows what he's doing. 
He's getting over and he's getting paid. Would I do it? No, but to each their own. And Jake Paul, more power to you. It's kind of funny how, how well he's doing this with how little effort he has to put into it. All he has to do is show up. Just show up. That's it. Mission accomplished. So good on Jake Paul. I don't like it, but he's getting his with no effort. So good on him. I've gone on here uh, a lot longer than I should have. Oh, I'd be remiss if I skipped this one. Um, Jorge Masvidal wore a shirt into the arena that said free Alexis Villa. 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 I don't know how to pronounce his last name. But um, it was gross. He's in prison and serving a 15-year sentence for second-degree murder. Um, the shirt was a terrible look that no one asked about it. was a terrible look. Um, the, the man that was murdered was a grocery store magnate. Um, I think he was tortured before he was murdered. And it was just a nasty story. There's a, you can look up Bila on Bloody Elbow, A-E-L-E-X-I-S-V-I-L-A. And get more details on that. And it'll give you details on the crimes. Nothing nothing good. Nothing good. It's pretty ugly. Pretty nasty. And um, I don't know why Masvidal would think that that was a good idea. I don't know why anyone in his camp would tell him not to to, to not wear, wear that. I don't know why the UFC would allow him to wear that on the broadcast. And tell him just not to you know cover that up with your jacket. And I don't know why this isn't getting more attention because it should be getting plenty of attention. And I think the UFC should answer for it. I think Masvidal should answer for it. And I think Masvidal's team should answer, answer for it. I text, I mean, I tweeted, tweeted it out to uh, ask them if they had any comment because none of these people ever answer me when I email them or contact them in that way. So I thought the only way I have an option here is to really throw it out there. And... Nothing, nothing so far. If something happens, I will let you know, but I hope others push this story and that these guys at least acknowledge the stupidity here and answer for it because, uh, you know what, if you want to go out there and show your ass with that shirt, then you should be man enough to also answer questions about why you showed your ass in that way. So we'll see if Jorge Masvidal does so. I'm not counting on it, but... Just a terrible look. Jorge Masvidal has ruined his goodwill. Still a, a fantastic fighter, but whatever goodwill he developed during 2019, he's flushed it down the crapper. He really has, and it's it was it's been sad to see. But what can you do? What can you do? And on that note, I will end this lengthy, lengthy uh, edition, and I'll be back tomorrow to discuss uh, more on the UFC 261 fallout, and uh, we'll see what else. So until then, everyone, stay safe.